Hey guys, Riley here. Welcome to the Podcasters Podcast. Again, I'm Riley from Pondagy.co. And today we're all talking about rendering. We're talking all about rendering is what I should have said. And in our guide to podcast editing, we briefly went over a setup that would fit most podcasters for rendering. However, in our quest to be as comprehensive as possible, today we're going to dive into what we're trying to emphasize when we render out our podcast and different methods that might be more appropriate to different styles of shows. First and foremost, when we're rendering out our podcast, we're essentially making a copy of our show that is going to be easily accessible to people on the internet. This is why we don't send out lossless wave files that are hundreds of megabytes or opus files that would be unplayable by most devices. When we're rendering out our episode, we're trying to make our file as high quality as possible while still accessible to as many people as possible. And these two goals are often at odds with each other. So as podcasters, we need to decide what best fits the needs of our listeners. And so you might be wondering, why not just simply render out each podcast at 320 kilobits per second and just provide listeners pristine audio and just be done with it? And that's a fair question. And the answer is twofold. One, almost all podcast hosting services will limit your uploads on a per episode or per month basis. The smaller you can make your podcast, the less you have to pay for hosting and the more money you have to invest in other aspects of your show. If you're self-hosting your podcast, you're paying for the bandwidth of all your downloads. So if you can have the size of the episodes, you'll pay half as much for the same amount of listeners. And secondly, it's important to think about how people are listening to your podcast. Anyone who's tried to download a podcast at the cottage can attest to the pain of waiting for a 100 megabyte file to download over a spotty 3G connection. And as podcasts become more popular, a lot more people from around the globe will be looking to tune in and those who are making their shows small enough to fit low bandwidth budgets are going to reap those new listeners. For example, in our last episode, we talked about sample rates, and we briefly touched on how the Stuff You Should Know show renders its episodes out at 22,050 hertz and 48 kilobits per second. Now, why would a company that has recently taken on investors to expand their podcast range send out their episodes at such low quality? It certainly isn't for lack of resources or access to equipment. What is much more likely is that they notice that a large percentage of their listeners are from areas without access to large amounts of bandwidth, and thus adjusted their product to fit their listeners' needs and send out hour-long episodes that are routinely under 20 megabytes. But what should our takeaways be from this? Most importantly, I think it shows us podcasters, without the download numbers or budgets of how stuff works, what the minimum viable product is in terms of podcast fidelity. I've no doubt that quite a bit of thought went into the decision to render some of the most popular podcasts in the world with half the normal sample and bitrate. Beyond that, and looking at the style of how stuff works roster, we can probably surmise that educational content is popular in areas with low bandwidth needs, and that a simple two-person setup without fancy processing is an effective way to deliver a message to listeners. But we might be getting ahead of ourselves. The first thing you need to know about rendering your podcast is that for 90% of podcasts, rendering out in mono is advised. Of course, there are exceptions to this rule, but if your podcast is simply a few people all talking to each other, rendering out in mono allows you to immediately have your file size. Keep in mind that a stereo track is just two mono tracks glued together. More than having the file size, however, rendering in mono also eliminates the problem I've been hearing a lot more often in podcasts that is completely unnecessary. And that is this panning voices across the stereo spectrum. I first noticed it on the Adam Buxton podcast, but I've started to hear it more and more regularly, and that's a little concerning. But I, 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 I guess the idea behind it is benign enough. When you're chatting with friends around the table, people on your left are going to sound louder to your left ear, and people on your right are going to sound louder to your right ear. It's part of how our brain processes spatial awareness. 
However, when podcasters try to replicate this by panning the host a little more to the left and the guest a little more to the right, they're only mixing for people who hear perfectly in both ears and are listening on a stereo device and are doing so with both speakers. Anyone who is deaf in one ear, like Stephen Colbert, or listening to a mono device or only listening with a single earbud in, which is something I've done often, is getting a subpar experience where one person always sounds louder than the other in the mix. Mixing your podcast to mono ensures that everyone can have a perfect experience no matter how they're listening. The only reason to be rendering your podcast in anything other than mono is when your show features a lot of music or your audio has quite a few effects in it, like Radiolab or 99% Invisible. And by a lot of music, I mean more than just your intro, outro, and ad music. If you're buying professionally mixed and mastered music from one of those royalty-free sites, it should already be prepped to sound great in mono. I'm talking more music discussion podcasts or podcasts where musicians are performing live. Things that, if their mix isn't perfect, it's going to sound crummy coming through. So if you absolutely need to render your podcast in a stereo field, the best way to do so and still keep your file sizes small is by using the joint stereo option. This allows any information that is identical on both the left and right channels, for instance, people talking, to be in mono, anything not identical, like songs, vocal effects, things like that, to be in stereo. And I can't emphasize enough that rendering in mono is the best way to immediately decrease your file size and has no ill effect on sound quality. Everything else after this is going to be sort of a trade-off between quality and file size, but going into mono doesn't affect the quality of your audio at all. And it can reduce the file size by half. It's a win-win-win. It's, it's a win across the board. And now we move on to constant versus variable bit rates. And this is oddly one of the most contentious debates across the podcasting community, other than maybe how do I get more listeners? And so let's, let's dive into it. Constant bit rate, or CBR, takes the bit rate you assign the audio file and applies it across every second of audio. If you choose 96 kilobits per second as your bit rate, every second of your podcast will be rendered out at 96 kilobits. That's pretty simple. Variable bit rate, however, also known as VBR, works by dynamically changing the bit rate of the file as needed. In most programs, you set an upper threshold for the bit rate, and the program will determine the most effective bit rate for your podcast dynamically. For instance, if you set 192 kilobits per second as the upper limit of an episode of your podcast, the intro music might be rendered at 160 kilobits per second, because it's, you know, the stereo field, a lot of information going on sonically. The conversation at 80 kilobits per second, because again, the human voice is simpler comparatively. And long pauses or silence could be as low as 10 kilobits per second, because it's just rendering silence. The great thing about this system is it has the capacity to sound better than CBR and be as much as 40% smaller. However, variable bitrate files have a single fatal flaw that make them unusable by most podcasts. And this isn't even a flaw of the format per se, but rather how audio players choose to read MP3 files. Almost every audio playback device uses a simple bitrate times number of bits formula to determine the length of an audio file. So if your file is rendered out at 96 kilobits per second and it's 46 megabytes, it'll know that it's roughly an hour or so long. And that's okay for constant bitrate files because they use the same amount of bits per second regardless of the content. Variable bitrate files, however, fluctuate based on the bandwidth needs of the track, and thus audio players can report playhead positions that are inaccurate by up to a minute or two per hour. As many show notes rely on accurate time codes to point out important events, this makes VBR files kind of problematic. And while there has been a workaround to this issue that's been around for years, 
which basically writes the bitrate changes to the metadata of the track. No podcast players currently take advantage of this, making VBR a highly efficient, well-developed, patent-free way to make podcasts more accessible for all that podcasters likely can't use. <laughs> like I said before, rendering out podcasts for listeners is all about making little sacrifices to make the best product for the most amount of people. And I'm not saying you can't use variable bitrate if you're 100% sure that your podcast is one in which people are just listening to it all the way through and aren't going to specific points for things, then by all means use variable bitrate. But if you think people might be going to time codes that you suggest, then you got to use a constant bitrate. And it's unfortunate because it's inferior, but that's just the way things are. Now that we've decided on mono and constant bitrates, we need to decide what that constant bitrate is going to be. And even this isn't as simple as it should be as there are two different MP3 encoders that work virtually the same, except in low bitrate cases like podcasts. There's the Fraunhofer encoder, which is made by the people who invented the MP3 codec, and is said to work better at lower bitrates than the free open source LAME encoder. For our purposes, remember that Reaper renders out MP3s with LAME, and iTunes uses Fraunhofer. And also remember, if you're using iTunes to render out your MP3s from a WAV file that you render out from Reaper, you have to choose the stereo bit rate and then select mono. So you have to choose 128 kilobits per second stereo and then mono to get a 64 kilobits per second mono file. It's a confusing system. And instead of running through any hard and fast rules here, I'm just going to play you a lame version and a Fraunhofer version of a piece of audio that I've prepared in both 96 and 64 kilobits per second. So you'll hear 96 kilobits per second Fraunhofer, then lame, and then 64 kilobits per second Fraunhofer, and then lame. Hey guys, Riley here from Podigy here with the latest episode of the Podigy podcast. And today we're talking about recording settings. These are things that you should just be able to set up Hey guys, Riley here from Podigy here with the latest episode of the Podigy podcast. And today we're talking about recording settings. These are things that you should just be able to set up. Hey guys, Riley here from Podigy here with the latest episode of the Podigy podcast. And today we're talking about recording settings. These are things that you should just be able to set up. Hey guys, Riley here from Podigy here with the latest episode of the Podigy podcast. And today we're talking about recording settings. These are things that you should just be able to set up. Now, based on these examples, you can probably surmise that much more is going to be made by your bitrate choice and your encoder choice. Generally, we recommend using 90 kilobit, 96 kilobits per second. As below this, some noticeable artifacts start to appear. However, you should choose whatever seems right for you and your listeners. Now, I say this now because our guide up to this point has all been about the best way to render MP3 files, but there is another way that is seldom talked about, and that's rendering to AAC. AAC was initially designed to be the successor to MP3, developed by Apple to be more efficient at lower bit rates, and it is. Listen to this example of an MP4 file, which is an AAC codec, at 48 kilobits per second, and its equivalent in MP3. Hey guys, Riley here from Podigy here with the latest episode of the Podigy podcast. And today we're talking about recording settings. These are things that you should just be able to set up. 
Hey guys, Riley here from Podigy here with the latest episode of the Podigy podcast. And today we're talking about recording settings. These are things that you should just be able to set up. So there is no doubt that AAC is much more efficient than MP3. And yet very few podcasters use the format for what I can see are very outdated reasons. You see, in the mid 2000s, AAC files were unplayable on BlackBerry devices. And many guides written at the time, for example, those from Libsyn, suggested that mp3 files would allow for greater compatibility across devices. However, since the mid-2000s, two things have changed. First being BlackBerry now supports AAC files. Number two is everyone else stopped supporting BlackBerry. And that's a little cheeky, but suffice to say that AAC has seen adoption across virtually all platforms that podcasts come out on, including Android and Windows Mobile. And of course, iTunes, because it's created by the people who created AAC. And the eagle-eyed among you may have also noticed that this podcast is also an AAC, the first time in the podcaster's podcast. The fear of the mid-2000s are no longer relevant, and yet podcasters still seem reluctant to adopt AAC files. And the best that I can find for this reason is that some people are reluctant to use AAC for the reason that Apple owns the patent to it and could at some point in the future revoke the rights to use it. And while it's true that Apple owns the patent to AAC, they own it so that they can license it to make money, and if they were to suddenly stop allowing others to use AAC, they wouldn't just be affecting podcasters, they'd be also screwing up the plans for Facebook, YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Twitter, and a whole host of other online companies that all rely on AAC for audio, and all seem to be like companies that would take the future of their audio codecs pretty seriously before making a decision. And more than that, though, up until a few months ago when Fraunhofer declined to renew the patent for MP3s, You could have said the same thing about Fraunhofer. What if they suddenly say no one else can use MP3s? It's the same thing. No one, it's not going to happen. So for those of you who are adventurous or forward thinking enough to render out their podcast in AAC, here's a few tips to do it from Reaper. You're going to change your output format to MPEG-4 slash MOV, and then underneath it, the format to MPEG-4 audio. Ignore the rest of the settings except for the bitrate next to audio codec. Once again, decide for yourself what you think is best, but you can check to see what this podcast was rendered at. I'm going to do some experiments to see what sounds best in the, in the spirit of experimentation. And, you know, you can check it by going into iTunes, right-clicking, getting in, get info, go over to the file tab, and you'll see the bit rate at, you know, so-and-so, probably 54 or 48 kilobits per second or something like that. Anyways, guys. Be smart about your rendering practices. It not only benefits you, it benefits your listeners, it benefits your wallet. Ultimately, it's a it's a great thing to sort of keep in mind when you're when you're podcasting. I've been Riley Byrne. Come check us out on Podigy. Our the company article to this is going to be going up soon. You can check that out. We've always got our guides for editing. We've always got our guides for recording. We've got crazy amounts of guides. All this information, all for free. Again, all you ever have to do is buy Reaper, which is $60. And I'm not even affiliated with Reaper. I'm not getting anything out of that. But if you do need help with your podcast, come send me an email, rileyburn at podgy.co. I'll get back to you. I'll show you what we can do for you. Otherwise, just come check us out. Come say hello over at podgy.co. I'd be glad that you did. Till next time. 